Welcome back to another episode of Diversity on Fire. Our goal is to inspire you to think more deeply and act with more knowledge and compassion. We'll do this by sharing our open conversations on all types of diversity-related topics. We are really excited to bring you something a little bit different this month. We will be talking about biodiversity, also known as variety on Earth. We're going to tackle topics related to plant life and animal life, as well as how we as humans have and continue to impact the vitality of these environments. Today, Nina and I have a special co-host with a bit with a bit of his own experience in the world of non-human earth elements. We'll let him describe that a little bit more in detail. Chad, would you like to introduce yourself and give us a little bit of history on you personally and also what you do to work? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm Chad. I uh, My personal history is... Um, Born and bred in Iowa, um, been here uh, throughout my life. And then I, my education and my work has been in the environmental field, particularly with geology. So I look at uh, biodiversity a bit different uh, with a, a longer lens in the past, probably, than a lot of people do in, in the other science fields. Um, but we have, you know, kind of a, a good comprehensive kind of footprint of what's happened with the earth, you know, in the past four point whatever billion years uh, that we have, and then, uh, you know, three, some of that uh, with life on it. And uh, so we've, we've got a little hit, bit of history there. And that's my background, geologist, uh, Iowa, and uh, particularly anymore, a lot of water and uh, water resources too. Okay. I'm actually really excited about that because one of the things that I want to touch on is this argument, and I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead of everything right now, but this argument that people have that climate change is a natural phenomenon, which it is. Things change, things adapt, things evolve. So the the argument is that we as humans, you know, we're not impacting it, which is so false because we're significantly impacting it. So anyways, that was a little bit of a blurb. Let's start with some opinions. Nina, kick us off. All right. So what we're going to clarify for opinions is what is something that really annoys you about how humans interact with the environment and nature in general? And so I will answer that question. Um, On a micro level, for me, it's actually simple. I can't stand littering. I think it's unacceptable. I think there's no excuse for it. And things that I've seen that are shocking to me is I've watched people throw stuff on the ground when there was a trash can within three feet of them. You see it all the time, people throwing stuff out of their cars. And you wonder, do you live like that at home? Do you think that everything's a trash bucket? Would you like it if everyone else did that and there was nobody to take care of it? And I don't understand how people don't recognize how disgusting and disruptive it is. All right. So what about you, Heather? I'm honestly, I'm going to be right on board with that. It, the the laziness, the someone else can take care of it, or it's not my responsibility is, it really makes me mad on another, on another, another level. Like, I mean, I'm trying to reel in my swearing, so I'm not going to swear, but it really- <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> I do swear a lot, generally. No, um- it just, it really makes me mad because I just, I don't understand it. It's to me, we have such a clear connection. There is a clear connection and and to me, the responsibility is clear. So I, I'm with you. The laziness and, and the, the, I guess, flightiness of not thinking that you have any connection to or responsibility for taking care of the environment. It's just wild. That's where I am. Okay. For, for me, uh, it's this kind of construct I think people have gotten recently where we think we're separate from 
the natural world almost, right? We, we have air conditioning now. We almost, everything's plastic and it's like we view ourselves uh, as separate from all the other animals and plants uh, on the earth. And I think that that view does us a disservice because that, that's not how the things work. We're impacting them. They impact us. We're all in this together, right, uh, as, as different species and everything and have been together uh, in the past. And uh, it's not, it's a lie that, that uh, we try to convenient ourselves into, into thinking like we're, we're caretakers of the planet or we're just, we're somehow different than all the other animals. And that's not the case. And everything we do influences them. So that perspective, I think, needs to change. Um, needs to change to back quite a ways. I think when we felt more attached to where uh, where we lived and the places that that we roamed. So, what do you think when you say that specifically, just to get a better understanding of that? What do you think that means? Like, how do you think that people feeling that we're apart from the environment? How do you think that impact shows itself? It shows itself in, in monoculture, mono agriculture, like. We will make, you know, pigs, animals, you know, and just raise them by the tens of thousands and then treat them in like a factory sort of way. So, and and we're, we're applying this kind of differential view of us on animals uh, and in agriculture, too, where it's like we want it to be this way. So we we think of this stuff as just totally within our control. And it isn't instead of we're in this like not necessarily as equals, but as part of this whole thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, the circle of life. Yeah. <laughs> I had to bring in the Lion King. We try to straighten things out. We try to make, we try to like, we try to organize everything where it's just, it doesn't, nature doesn't always work that way. Straight line rows for row crop in, in Iowa, you know, all the cow, all, all the cows and pigs lined up in, in, a, in a circle. And if they don't meet whatever specs, they get tossed out. Like all that stuff that we just, we try to, to make the natural world fit this kind of thing doesn't in the end, in my opinion, work. Yeah. I think as humans there, so we want some artificial order, right? So like yeah. there is a natural order, but the natural order doesn't give us the definitive clear lines that we believe are so beautiful. So we have to manipulate it in a way that it's no longer natural. Yeah. Well, it's it's too complex for our simple little brains to understand. The natural world is very, there's all sorts of complexities with everything. And you start looking at, if just look at a prairie field or look at, at, a, at a, a forest, rainforest, thousands of species just within a square uh, acre there. We don't get that. We can get straight lines of one row, but that's that's about what we can understand. And the same thing, like it, even just simple things like temperature control and, you know, living in a house and not getting out to the environment uh, where all, all these creatures are that we're impacting is uh, just doing more to separate us, in my opinion. I think I think about it when you say that now between both of you. So then that's what happens when we try to inbreed dogs too much, right? Then all of a sudden we're taking out some of that natural diversity and then we're getting all of these problems. Or with crops, like you said, they're sucking all the nutrients out of the land because we've only been raising one type of crop. And so the world needs to have a certain level of diversity. Otherwise, it just can't function the way it was intended. That makes sense. Or it'll collapse. It'll, it'll, it'll collapse like it's uh, doing right now because it just we can't control it and we don't understand it. We don't even have a tenth of the number of species that exist in the world to figure it out. So we don't, we can't understand that complexity or if we ever do, it's going to be, you know, many years from now, because we don't understand it, we don't know what the heck we're, 
doing to some of this stuff and the and the repercussions that each one of these uh what we think is small minor impacts will have for generations down the road this is bringing me to two things humans are weird um animals are are much more interesting i ha i follow a guy who is an animal activist and like all animals all of them and someone asked him one time what the scariest animal is that he has ever encountered. And he said humans. And I think it's interesting just based on the conversation that we're going with right now, because as humans, there's like this need for superiority. And so I'm connecting it to slavery, which is totally off topic. We we had to we had to be a superior race, right? And so we think about that. There's hierarchy in the animal kingdom as well in the plant kingdom. But the thing is we as humans don't want to be the gazelle and get up and run in the morning. We just want to control the lion so that we don't have to. Yeah, it's a very simplistic way of looking at things. I think when you have this hierarchy of stuff, when that's really not how things go. Like you could look at it like, oh, we're the top of the food chain, right? But then if you start killing off all the bugs that eventually will work themselves up to the eagles after the mouse eats the, eats the or yeah, mouse eats the bug, the mouse gets eaten by something else and the eagle eats the whatever, all that stuff, it's not, it's not this hierarchy of anything. It's just, it's inner, it's an interconnected tangled web and it's a mess from our simple ideas of how we can, and per, can perceive that kind of stuff. And yeah, we are pretty dangerous because we think we get it or we get a, a we get a part of it and we uh, build a dam, we channelize, we, we do all sorts of stuff that, uh, that we think works at the time. And uh, then it comes, we come to find out later that we didn't get it almost invariably every with every single thing we do we we uh, find out later that there's a consequence that was unintended and not known at that time and impacts felt through years oh yeah i was just gonna say i do think arrogance comes from ignorance yeah but we're part of the natural world so i mean taking a long like geologic view of this you know the there's been multiple extinction events that have happened in earth's past i think there's been five of them going all the way back to uh ordovician and then like one of them wiped off like 97% of the known species and a lot of times it was global warming related they think right a couple times it it might have been something in the atmosphere or anoxic environments uh and then of course the the most famous one that killed off the dinosaurs with the the meteorite impact but <laughs> I mean, if you think about, about this geologically, like if things keep going the way they're going now and we keep wiping off uh, thousands of species without even recognizing what we're wiping off, we're going to be our own kind of extinction event. And then, you know, it'll be in the geologic record at some point. <laughs> so there'll, there'll be like this, this maybe like the KT boundaries, this like thin black line that you can see between the age of the dinosaurs and then when the age of the mammals started because of that meteorite impact impact there's a lot of scientists that'll believe that there'll be something like that for the for humans where it's like this one little boundary of however long we last but it's not going to be like some some of these uh extinction events lasted 20 million years or so or like tens of millions of years before all those species got wiped off this could be a pretty compressed time where we're doing this and you'll see this ash whatever it is chemicals some signature That'll, that'll define uh, our impact on all the other living species. And then maybe we recovered or maybe, you know, something else will take over. Every one of those uh, events, extinction events, they eliminated a lot of species. 
but something else was able to take over like mammals after the dinosaurs, dinosaurs took over after uh, something else. So life will find a way to survive. Uh, like that guy in Jurassic Park says, life will find a way. It's just whether or not we will, <laughs> you know? It's going to be Planet of the Apes. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. And they'll do their do their research, uh, geologic research on us. So on the flip side, uh, we talked about what annoys us. What's the one thing that we are really in awe of when it comes? I mean, geez, probably a lot. But like one thing that really stands out. And for me, it's... It's along the lines of what we're talking about. It's how nature is really very connected. Like everything works together. So when you talk about a, a specific plant species or I, like what you were just saying. So if, if the insects die off, which great, I'm sure a lot of people would be like, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> we get rid of the insects. But then there are other species that will immediately be impacted by that, which those might die off and then others. So everything really works together in both the plant and the animal world. And I think that's really pretty spectacular. That's what's awesome to me. How about you guys? Okay, I'll go with my next one. I have a couple things I think are pretty awesome. Um, one thing is just how resilient life is. Like a, a lot of uh, some of the, the more uh, vocal proponents are saying like, we'll destroy the planet, right? Even if we nuke the whole thing, there's going to be something that, that comes out of this and life will keep on going. I think that's amazing. And the other thing that I think is amazing, taking a geologic, you know, looking at our rearview mirror, is how if you go back far enough, everything alive now is connected, like, to each other. From us, to plants, to algae, blue-green algae has been, like, maybe we're all derived from blue-green algae. Every living thing, if you go back farther enough, is connected somehow. Us to cats, dogs. Uh, it could be hundreds of millions of, of years or even billions of years back. But you look at the way I like to look at life now is by looking at something and thinking like, wow, we, we've made it. <laughs> we've been the successful, uh, us and the bugs and every other living plant that's alive right now have made it through all sorts of hardships, have evolved to, to the whatever form and shape this planet has. And we're all of us alive today have made it this far by you know, reproducing asexually or sexually and, and getting to this point. And that not a lot of creatures can say that. There's a, a whole bunch of trilobites that are, you know, extinct now. And all like most of those dinosaurs and stuff didn't make it this far, but everybody alive today has. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. And for me, it's just this planet is gorgeous to me. And I love traveling it. I find it just phenomenal, just the essence of beauty that we can have. So for example, sunsets, sunrises, the just waterfalls or Antarctica, just, you know, the deserts, just the sheer amount of diversity, but how beautiful some of it can be. I even remember flying over Siberia. And when I opened my window, I knew it was Siberia because there was literally nothing for miles. But that vast enormity was just awe-inspiring to me. So just the fact that we live on such a remarkable planet compared to all the rest is something that I love. Knocking Jupiter. I think Jupiter's made. I mean, it's pretty, but it's pretty. I mean, it's a little hot, it I think. <laughs> In doing a little research, it, there seems to be like a common thread of 
when we're talking about the plant world, so kind of shifting specifically to the plant world, but this it probably carries over. There, there seems to be a couple specific things as to reasons as to why biodiversity is declining. It looks like land use, of course, we can imagine that's pretty easy to think of. We're, we're building a lot. Um, that could be also over exploitation, uh, so over harvesting of lands and for woods and all that. Climate change as a general, that's kind of an overarching. <laughs> Invasive species and then pollution. Those seem to be the kind of common threads. The thing is, is we've known about this for a very long time. So I don't know, like how often do you guys encounter conversations or ads or just hearing about these issues? I guess in Iowa, maybe more than some. So I want to share a story about Chad and I. One time, I don't know where we all were, but anyway, I asked a question when we were together, but at the rest stops in Iowa, they had these signs everywhere about the trees that they were taking down. And I asked Chad, I asked you about it because I was like, why are they doing this? And basically it was an invasive species that was taken over. And so they had to go through and cull all these trees um, to make sure that something, I was going to say, you're probably going to be in a better position to explain it than me. But sometimes for me, it's just seeing something and then asking a question about why is this the case or what's creating this situation. So for me, I guess it's just curiosity where I think a lot of people might just ignore the signs on a rest stop and not think more about it. Yeah, invasive, half of our invasive, invasive species were brought in, like multiflora rosebush was brought in, which is just this prickly little thing that you, people wanted to use as a fence rose. And then it just takes over the countryside and nobody wants it anymore. And the same thing with a lot of bugs and stuff like that were that were thought were to go, here to solve a problem. And a lot of, a lot of plants. We think, I don't know if we think about biodiversity all that much in Iowa, but it's almost what I have noticed a lot in this, in this state is a slow erosion of, of diversity and just in general in the landscape. Um, when I grew up in the eighties in Iowa, uh, we had, uh, farmers that would do, you know, some pigs, some, some sheep, maybe they would do oats, uh, some of them, and then corn and soybeans and a bunch of other stuff. So like diversity of, of, of crops and your livestock was kind of needed because you didn't know from one year to the next, um, what was going to happen to a drought or, or to your, to your cows. Nowadays, that's not the case. Our, our landscape's been kind of, um, shifted where we've gotten rid of most pasture land in the areas that don't have it. And it's just corn or, and soybeans. And that's it. Even the fence rows that existed with with trees and stuff growing up there, and I know that people have recognized that. Like, if you talk to people, they'll pine about the old days where there was more. Uh, just even in the eighties, there wasn't perfect, but there was more diversity then than now, and and it was just a better looking place, you know, because <laughs> you had barns and different animals out there that that actually got to see sun that you could see, and so we talk about parts of it. I don't think we ever go climate change, uh, landscape change, you know, eliminating all these animals uh, on purpose or whatever. All of that's just different ways that humans are negatively impacted. Like we're, we're, we have our fingers and our thumb on all of those things and, and not a lot of people of like. Well, probably because we're an agricultural state. And so there's, would be pushback for accepting that because of the economic considerations that that might bring about. And I think it's too big of a, it's almost too big to wrap 
our heads around too. Like some even climate change is so big, but you start 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 talking climate change and then uh, species and uh, uh, diver- biodiversity dropping and mono agriculture. Like all of those are weighty topics that are going to take a long time for society to try to figure out, and they're all happening right now. You know, and it's just. <laughs> You know, it's just, you know, there's people that can write about it. But I'd argue that people do. I mean, people here know about composting people. I I, I think that there's definitely ways that people are keyed in. I don't know if they're keyed in on such a macro level, but there's if you want to be aware of something, you have the ability. I I don't want to give people an out on that. I think you're right, Nina. Like the the if they want to be aware and I'm not saying the majority of people are. But I, there's a there's enough information out there for you to be aware. But then after the, you're you're done with the awareness and you try, I'm gonna try to do X, Y, and Z uh, to fix that. Then it then it gets a little bit more like which X X or Y or Z or if you want to try all X, Y, and Z together, how how does that lifestyle look and and what kind of political or social impact you're gonna try to implement uh, to do that? That's that's the hard part. And especially when you're fighting against, you know, uh, a society that wants to make the next profit within the next quarter and or at least within the next year. And but we'll be actively fighting against that because of a fear of loss of profits. I'm thinking of so I'm in New Hampshire and I don't I don't know that we talk that much about diversity either in terms of biodiversity or that I'm aware of it. So biodiversity as a whole, I'm aware of it because I have a family member that is in the field that posts about it a lot. And I follow, I'm a little bit of a a geek when it comes to like houseplants. So I'm in a group with houseplants. And so I see different species through that avenue. And I've heard people complain about invasive species. Like, I don't worry anybody listening. I don't have any. I didn't buy any. I didn't import it. But bamboo, I love bamboo. I think it's really cool. And I know (laughs) apparently it's bad. Bad news. People do not plant it in your yard because it's wildly um, invasive and it's fast growing. So I I was following and that's how I got interested in it. Because like you, Nina, like you saw a sign and you got curious and you asked a question. And so I saw someone post. She was literally just on a complaining rant because she had been trying to get this out of her yard in New York. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize it was that invasive. So I looked into it. So I do think you have to be curious to engage. I think there's little ideas of it out there. I think the overarching climate change comes up all the time. We just, maybe it's too big. Maybe it's too broad for us to feel like we can do anything about. So we don't pay attention to the little things that we could because we don't feel like our little footprint. So if if I compost, that's not going to save the world, right? But if I have that mindset, then thousands of other people have that mindset. If all thousands of us all composted, then we can make an impact. We don't look at it like that. Well, that's why policies are so important. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with that. I was going to say because so piggybacking on policy, I'm like, there are cultures that do like Japan. So for example, Japan has an extraordinarily robust conservationist mindset that people just seem to execute by just by memory almost. I, I'm trying to think of uh, where it was. So Japan had the tsunami. Yeah. 
So during the tsunami, when they had that, then people were basically in refugee shelters. They were just talking about how insanely clean and organized it was because it has become their culture. And so they respect it on a fundamental level. And so I, I guess really... Now we're talking education. Yeah, education before policy. But my gosh, we have to. We've known about recycling. Like I, I remember being in like sixth grade, and we had a pretty awesome science teacher that had us go through recycling, and we learned about what the what can be recycled and what can't. And we did this this competition to see what class could bring in the most paper and, and plastic to recycle. I mean, but but if the but if this if your culture or your state isn't isn't actively like making that happen. It's hard to it's hard to make la- people are lazy. One thing that's great about not great about humans is that we'll we'll be pretty lazy about stuff. I think recycling's too late. It might be. So so we have to think about things that we can do, and I think all of these have to be uh, policy decisions. And especially like if we're just talking biodiversity, you need land that humans aren't touching with cities and agriculture or whatever. You just need to set aside a lot of land. And that's, I think, somewhere around like 10% of the, the planet's land is set aside, where that needs to be closer to 15 or 50%. So, and it has to be all throughout, you know, different regions and different zones of the planet. And then we don't, the hard thing, we don't want to touch it. You just let it, you just let it, the what happens there happen. And that's, you'd have to go global and have to think like everybody making a play and every every country doing its own thing there. Uh, again, countries can choose sustainable options, you know, instead of just cattle and stuff like that. We choose other more sustainable resources. Timbers is pretty the the, the they're sustainable wood probably, and the not um, stuff that's old and costs more. And then uh, we could even do like really super science stuff and go like genetic databases if we if we're to the point where we're gonna lose some stuff. Maybe we can. Uh, just take DNA samples from everything and then kind of like a uh, Wally, right? You just store everything in a genetic database. And then when the, you will leave I the planet. I can't handle all these movie references. You guys are going to need to tone I it down. I knew you were going to say that. You guys are really going to need to tone it down. I mean, I know who Wally is, but I don't know what you're talking about. So, so there's a Disney movie that everybody's seen. Of course, and it's so, Disney. It's Disney, so they, or it's comic books. Yeah, so they so they they get the the planet's destroyed because of trash and everything else, and they get off the planet, but they have a genetic database of everything on that, and like that's we are doing that actively. I think right now with you know tigers and, and giraffes and stuff like that that are um, getting extinct. So we need to do we need to do that times ten million <laughs> to try to get. Uh, try to get a good handle on the the DNA that's that's out there and, and likely needed. So basically, Noah's Ark. That's literally yes. what I was just thinking. Is Noah's Ark? But okay, so little tubes. It'd be a smaller <laughs> Noah's Ark, but, and, and you just have uh, little test tubes of every every known thing. So at what point though are we intervening in the natural cycle though? Because we're already so rather than taking the steps that could arguably slow well not arguably, could definitely slow climate change and potentially reverse some of the damaging and dramatic effects that we're having, we would save the DNA to recreate a new world once we kill it all off? That would I be, mean... I, I think we should save DNA because it's a, it's a cheaper option. It's, a, it's a, something we can do right now. We could save DNA. It would be like a last resort kind of thing to say, let's, let's 
take a mulligan on this guys and then and then well try elon to musk is going to send us all to mars so that's what yeah it's we'll do we wonders to, to mars <laughs> uh too because again even with mars you think would we understand enough about the complexities of life to actually have a society live there we tried it with biosphere 2 when i was a kid i remember we had these people and we put them in this place and we we're like well it's i actually be forgot like a- all about that <laughs> That was such and it a totally failed because we didn't understand anything. And so they had like this fake ocean. They had all this, what they thought was going to be complex life there. And what they found out, like the people didn't get along. I don't know how many of them there were, like seven or something. And that didn't work out. And then like everything just started failing on them in this biosphere. And I think you can still go visit it in like Arizona if you want to. You know, it's so interesting because Heather, I don't know if any of this is hearkening back to you, but you know, last month was our Pride Month discussion. And some of the things, the the thing about diversity is no matter if it's people or if it's gender or if it's race, it all has like some of the same common themes. So we're talking about this and a lot of it has to do with projection, right? So instead of focusing on the matter at hand, we put attention to other things and, and make that attention about something that it's not instead of what we should be taking care of. And so it's so interesting that I'm hearing that same theme here. And even if you think about it from an economic standpoint, there's always this discussion about future debt for the children, future debt. But none of that matters if there isn't a viable trans, you know, hierarchy of needs. So there has to be housing. So it doesn't matter about money. You don't, you right. can't live without an environment. That's one of the. Right. Oxygen is pretty important. So <laughs> we're going to need that first. <laughs> So I love it when people are like, oh, the, it's about the money. Well, I'm like, well, you know, we can live without money. You know, we've, I've made attempts before and was fine. Well, barter you systems. Can't, you can't live without an environment. Nothing can. So there's not even, it's not even a competition. Yeah. So the, the, the concept of just, you know, putting the cart before the horse, I think is, is really, you know, at play here. Honestly, it's, it's interesting because I, I think about it from that perspective sometimes, but not quite like, you know, the discussion we're having today. So on the same lines of biodiversity, but kind of shifting over to the animal world, I found a stat. It was from a uh, 28 dwells. It went to 2018. It was 1970 to 2018 that the wildlife population sizes had dropped 68%. So not necessarily the species, but the, but the total like count of all the species together has dropped. Right. Yeah. Wild, just wildlife populations at, at large. I think that same dropping. number tracks within tracks with insects too. Like if you look at pretty okay. much a lot, of, I don't know about plants, but I think insects had something similar that I saw um, recently for the number of decline. That's not good. And j- that's just what, uh, 38 years? No, f- 48 years of that. That's, you know, think geologic time. That is a not even, a, it's a sliver at the very end of something. And, and it's like to a, have not it even decline. the tip of a pen. Yep. But to have it happen that quick, you'd almost, it would just be like this. Like if the geologists would be like, this Thanos. disappeared. Thanos, yeah. Actually, that's an interesting, um, here we go, Nina. I know that name, but I don't know what it is. I just have heard it before. <laughs> that's actually interesting. So in the world of geology, because that's such a tiny blip on the radar, how would that even show up? Would it even be well, you'd an? It. You'd see it because yeah. it's such a dramatic shift. But yeah. like you wouldn't. It would be a layer, just a little fine. Like at one point in the geologic record, there would be 
you know, millions of species showing up potentially. And then at another point, just nothing. Right. And then there'd be a line there. And then I think people call this the Anthropocene. Like we're in our own geologic age now that's basically human based, you know, even though we've been what around for 200,000 years, uh, our impact has grown so substantially over that amount of time that we're, you can't deny it in the fossil record and you can't deny what, what we've done. So we get to have our own geologic age, <laughs> some, some geologic time period that's named about with us. I think for me, part of it was scary is like seeing the polar bears that look like they're starving, you know, and the fact that we're still hunting things that are going to be, I don't even understand why we feel the need to do those things, but it's, it's, it's superiority. Yeah. Domination. Well, well they, they'd say, um, if I, if I hunt some old tiger and he's going to die anyway, and I spend $10 million and that $10 million goes to the, the heart, the, the smart, healthy, young tigers and just to them. And they get to do all sorts of things with that money. Um, but that I kill off the old tiger, isn't that a net benefit for me, you know, getting the opportunity to shoot a tiger in the head? I'm not, say- I'm not saying that's, I, I, I'm not saying that's right. I'm not even saying it. I'm saying it, it makes sense from a certain uh, viewpoint, you know, of if like that's only what's actually happening, but well, uh, yeah. I are. they seem to be like rich <laughs> dentists and doctors and, and uh, whatever uh, Trump, Trump sons that go out there and hunt these things. And they have to like, I think, spend a pretty penny uh, just to go out there and do it. Humans have a really, I'd like to say, unique way of rationalizing whatever the fuck they want to do and don't care about the actual impact or where the money goes, as long as they can pretend that the money goes to something good. Or we're just, you can make a justification for almost anything you want to kill. Yep. If you want to kill it or do whatever, uh, there's a justification there. What's your reaction to that stat, Nina? It it actually to me it's almost heartbreaking. I it I I don't even know how to put it into words, especially at, you know as a, another fellow traveler and lover of nature. Some of my most awe-inspiring moments in life have to do with wildlife and interacting with it. And obviously, you and I went to the Great Barrier Reef. I can't even remember what the name of it was. And the idea that that will no longer exist in potentially the not that distant future is just devastating. And we do know that we're killing off the reef incidentally. So, you know. You know, what's what's kind of sad about this is sometimes we'll in, in, invite an invasive species in and it'll wipe off, you know, something. But the thing about the invasive species is it's not aware that it's doing it, which kind of sucks to be human because we're like, there's some of, there's a lot of us that are kind of like aware <laughs> That this is going on and aware that we're having this impact. Uh, and that makes it almost worse than just kind of, you know. It does make it worse because yeah. ignorance is bliss. And yeah. so you're right because I'm thinking about Florida right now. Florida and Australia. So in Australia, they killed off the natural predators of mice. Have you have either of you guys seen the mice videos? No. Oh, so everyone listening, check out Australian mice. They're horrifying we're talking thousands upon thousands upon thousands of mice like sometimes they have to go in and like burn them up and they're just running rampant because there's no natural predators to to get them anymore and they're trying to figure out right now as we're speaking what to do about it because obviously mice carry a lot of diseases and then you've got florida who that ecosystem is just getting blown up and most of it has to do with snakes and all these 
wild animals that rich people have brought over and then don't know how to take care of and then release into the wild instead of doing responsible stuff. And I'm on a rant right now, I know. But <laughs> it's like you watch people do stuff. And even even right now, like COVID and then all the people who went and got dogs because they didn't want to be by themselves. And now they're going and dumping dogs like I can't stand it. <laughs> I cannot stand it. It's but they're able to justify it. I mean, I mean, they're able. I needed a dog, and now I don't need a dog anymore. I know find a happy home, or she'll find a happy home, or yeah. live on the street. Th- this and, is this is a pattern. This is a pattern of let me do what suits me, what I need as a human. I'm going to build a dam because I need a lake as a human or water source without thinking of the long term impact. And then it's okay because I needed it, right? And, <laughs> and, and even actually, if it's I have I have an old that are alive. I have an old document from uh, one of the lakes that was constructed in our state because there was a huge dam building craze in like the 30s to the 50s in this country. And the justification for a lot of the stuff was jobs, you know, and just a better. And in, in some situations, it actually made some, you know, drinking water for a lot of Colorado and, and Lake Mead's case and drinking water for uh, Des Moines in our state's case. And that's that's good. It'd be interesting to see the landscape without those lakes. But yeah, the, we there was a lot of justification dealing with the jobs that were created because a lot of the stuff started in the Great Depression and were just people needed to be fed and needed to have uh, gainful employment. Like that was a primary reason for a lot of the stuff. And then the second thing was um, energy, you know, and just the, the people imagined wonderful lake with boats and you know all that fun stuff on it too they justified that with jobs i don't know where it's going with that i just thought that was a no it's it's interesting oh god no i was gonna say the same thing so what do we so as far as us people human beings what is it that we're going to be able to do to well actually first we should start with the obvious question how directly are we contributing to the speed of climate change? So we, we discussed it kind of at the beginning. We know that it can happen anyway. And we talked about plant drop-off and animal drop-off. But how much of this is our fault directly? I'd say all of it. I mean, it does, it, there's, it's all of it. Like you can't, you, you arguing like 5% or something like that is some natural fluctuation. At this point, it's just so, it's just too obvious that, we are doing it and, you know, and, the, and, the, and it's gotten to the point where we actually know what levels we needed to try to prevent of, of carbon dioxide in some measurement out in some island somewhere where we need to go to not get above that. So we know, we know how direct it is even, but will that change uh, how we do things? I'm not sure. It's, it's actually interesting. So there are a lot of there, I mean, dozens and dozens of documentaries and scientific documents that very clearly put in order steps and things that would need to happen and take place. But the actual, the humans have to actually take action. We have to do it, whether that be through our own personal desire to be better connected or whether that be through policy. But I think we're having, yeah, I mean, I so don't know if I could argue. A hundred percent, but I know that it's obviously our fault that we're going down fast. Yeah, and and you can look at some success stories and little scattering of cultures throughout the the world where they usually it was an island that adapted or whatever or didn't. Uh, the people uh, just 
kind of tore down all the trees. And I think that's what they think happened to Easter Island now. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, what, 9 billion? How many people? Seven to 9 billion people on the planet now that all have to kind of uh, share that responsibility in some way and be grouped together uh, in the moment, uh, all of us to try to do something. It's, it's fun <laughs> to think about. But they say theoretically we're actually not overpopulated. That's something I find fascinating. Well, the, that... I'm sure they say that because you could you could technically you know use whatever bit of land and raise the crops this way. Like if you really made things efficient, absolutely, Nina, we could go to 10 billion, 15 billion, whatever. But we're not. We're greedy sons of guns that will drive cars and and don't let me be the only shoot. one that swears here shoot shoot things uh all the time so we we don't want to live in some minimum footprint zone we're we're too selfish for that i'm too selfish for that you know i i i want to say that i kind of am right now you know chugging out (laughs) all sorts of i got water running just because you know i I have a dehumidifier that is dumped down the drain once it's done dehumidifying oh my gosh chad stop Uh (laughs) uh-huh But this is stand. I mean, it's it's we're laughing, but it's standard. I mean, that's it's not lazy. like no, it's true. Ninety nine percent of the people that listen to this will be doing the same thing. And I just moved, yeah. so I and in my old house we had like a I had a nice little bucket to put the recycles in, and the, and then the stuff for the trash. But for the past like few weeks, I'm just like, let's just throw everything in the trash. I know it's not good, but I have one bucket, and then if I don't put it in the bucket, it just sits there on the table. It's really ugly. So I throw it in the same bucket and I just throw it all, all in the trash. I'm going to get another bucket that's like recycling bucket, but I haven't yet. So I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But actually, you know what? This is why we're here, right? I mean, honestly, you guys, we're here because this is what we are as people on top of the fact that we're all Americans and there's a cultural comfort that we expect. So I'd be lying to you guys to say that I was too much different. I'm a little different because I'm also like a conservationist from like the cheap standpoint, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I've been paying attention to the restaurants I go to. I'm trying to utilize restaurants because I do a lot of to go since I'm a single. So I don't go to restaurants and eat by myself almost ever. So I'm trying to go to places that have sustainable packaging. I'm trying to, for example, um, a company that I sell my CBD with, their peanuts, which actually, Heather, I didn't tell you this, but their peanuts are, uh, you can, uh, I don't even know what you call them. Dissolve them in water. Yeah. So I'm trying to like be conscious of the things that I support to try to help, to try to help grow that momentum. So I think as a consumer, that's something that we can do, even though sometimes we can't be perfect. And I think it's really important that we don't let perfect be enemy of the good yeah because i think this is nina's excuse for her costco membership (laughs) costco's wonderful she's like if i buy in bulk then it's technically less packaging unless you throw it away (laughs) i'm going to accept that it's been uh, sitting in your i use all my stuff do you Uh, that's all i'm saying i'd have to figure out what like i can keep forever and yeah we have to forgive people like one thing i see that happens is there's a holier than now part of environmentalism that's annoying as heck. And I, what, it, what that does is it lets um, the other side that doesn't want to do any of this stuff say, well, look, they're saying, no, you know, uh, be good for the environment, but they're driving around in, in cars and airplanes just like the rest of us. Well, yeah, that's true. Whatever. They're still trying. 
you know, and everybody can still do something and, and still try their darndest. And we have to kind of give ourselves grace if you're not going to, nobody's ever going to be a hundred percent, whatever. It's like at church, you could always be like more holy than anybody. Right. And then there's people that really think like, if they're the, whatever, the best do-gooder in church, then they're somehow better than everybody else in church. But the point is like, everybody's in church. So like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't start acting like that. But every, somehow that that kind of gets in their in their brains. You can always be more cleaner. It gets lost. Yeah, it, it's true. And and then sometimes because of that, they're the worst of the worst. And then they scare everyone off message. Because oh, they're the- terrible. I don't like them. They're, I don't like them in church. I don't like them if they're uh, like the most clean. Yeah, I have the cleanest place. Like there's a judgment that can happen with people because they live a little bit like regular people. Come on. You, nobody, you can't, we're, we're all flawed. <laughs> And got a lot of problems and uh, we got, we got, you can't do anything perfect uh, all the time. And it's, it's stupid to try to expect that even from uh, people trying to be environment, environmental policy makes, can make that difference and say, here's the, here's the baseline of what you should do. And you can see how much of an impact it's had on Japan and Europe and everybody else where they recycle like 75% of their stuff, as opposed to our country where we don't even have a baseline. It's just up to up in the air for, for people to do. So I think that, that can help, but the the I don't think the I'm a better environmentalist and look what I'm doing. I'm pooping in a bucket and then taking that bucket and then raising my uh, grapes <laughs> and then taking right, the grapes. I, I'm not on that train. So barefoot, that. <laughs> making my wine like that's just ridiculous. I guess it could be a some people might consider that to be some like uh, dream that they want to get to eventually. So and it could help them out, but I never like them. So let's start with you and then we'll move to Heather. But what do you think that, so now we're talking about what we can do and to give some of our listeners ideas. What do you think that you are able to commit to going forward in terms of like your part to be better? Uh, I ch- Things that are choose sustainability like you do, Nina, I think is a good one. So like any, any company that makes an, an attempt to try to be more sustainable and, you know, hopefully we can set some metrics in that like they have with, they might have actually like organic food means something, right? Non-GMO mean like there's, there's levels of food quality or just preparation that means something. We can do the same thing with packaging or uh, whatever, and we can make our choices to, to do that. And that'll have a financial impact. So that's a pretty low line fruit uh, for us to do. Uh, education, I think is a big one too. And just like realizing how interconnected just we are and to the natural world as much as we think that we're separate from it we i think we need to change that mindset get outside and feel that heat <laughs> uh and and see what that see what that means for everything else um i and then i think like there's an answer that's technology too so i think we can do more with energy than we're doing now and I don't know how in the world that we as people can do that. Like we can use better light bulbs and we choose that uh, quite often. Um, but hopefully we'll have a point where we're, we're getting energy from sustainable sources. And that in Iowa right now, we're doing I th- over 50% of our energy comes from wind, which some people don't like because it kills a few birds. Uh, but it's far more environmentally safe than other options. It causes cancer. My answer on that, well, like, so personally, I'm... One of my worst things is how I do dishes because I don't shut off the water. Like I don't have like a bin. 
I do. It's so bad. So, um, I have, I don't have like a bin or anything. I, I don't have, I don't generally have a lot of dishes and I do them like throughout, right? So if I have a couple cups, I'll do them. I have a couple plates, I'll do them. So don't let them stack up. So we're not talking about like water running for like 20 minutes, but I'll turn it on. I'll soap it up and then I'll rinse it off and then I'll grab the other one. So it's running the whole time. And I know that that's bad. And it's like the habit of how you're doing something, like while you're doing it, acknowledging that you could do better. Well, and then, so what does that really mean in total water use though? Because I I kind of, in the same way, I, I let the water run. I used to fill up the thing and do dishes. Now I've got a dishwasher that I fill, except for a few dishes that I have to do by hand. And- I don't know. I don't know if I have an idea of what that water takes compared to like a shower, uh, compared to any, you know, any other water use that we have. I don't water uh, the lawn or anything like that because I always think that's a pretty big waste. Plus, it just makes the grass grow and I don't care. But um, I I think it'd be interesting to just know what Mm -hmm. if you're letting the water run, is that worse than filling up the thing and then uh, doing dishes that way, it might not be. I, I feel I'm an like environmentalist. I have no clue. <laughs> I, I feel like it has to be, and I feel like there's got to be a study out there on it. So ignorance is bliss again. So, well, no, because I just, I, I, I need to fix it. Is she popping up? No, I'm going washing dishes. Oh, water <laughs> Google. running. Water, washing dishes, water usage. 20. Oh, so, okay. Hand, lo- hand washing one load of dishes can use 20 gallons of water, where if you use an energy efficient dishwasher, you're using four <laughs> gallons. Oh my god, that's why I, well, I actually I don't have a just dishwasher, learned so. that. I'm living in the sticks. No, not really. <laughs> well, you could just buy plastic dishes and throw it away. I mean, there you go. No water wasted at all. Oh my god, no. That, do not anybody. This is a, this is a joke. There, there is a satire in there. So please don't take that as a actual. <laughs> no, actually, oh my I have plastic dishes that I wash because. I I just have plastic dishes. So I wash them and they're really high quality plastic though. So, so, but I'm guessing that's possibly partially because you just move. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the, part of the moving process. I mean, unless that's, are you sticking to it though? Like, is this, do you feel like it's a new life choice? It would be funny to be like, you know what I do? I just find old plastic dishes lying around and then I use them. (laughs) I'm the most environmental. Give me some kind of environmental stamp on my forehead. Oh my god! Tattoo. You could probably create something out of plastic dishes, and then like, or like that kid who like made flip flops out of like plastic something. Yeah. Like art. Listen, there's something to be said for recycling, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, right. Yeah, I was gonna say I learned the dishwasher thing. Um, gosh, Heather, I don't even know because I feel like I might have told you. I tell Heather like the most of anybody ever. She just gets to hear all my rantings, but um, I I think I discovered it about. Six or nine months ago. So then I'm all about the dishwasher now because I used to think the dishwasher was wasting water. And then I found out it wasn't. And then now I'm like, what? I've been missing out for years. It squirts (laughs) little jets at everything. So it's just like little tiny little, you know, it does a good good job. Mine runs for like an hour when I let it go. So I, but, so I haven't ran it in a week. Oh, someday I'll join the modern club again and I'll have a dishwasher. I did dishes all the time as a kid. And we did, we conserved water. We filled up a thing with probably like three or four gallons, you know, filled up your entire tub and then just washed them. And then we, you know, rinsed them off. So probably we used about five, six. I bet you it was still more than an efficient dishwasher now. 
That's what we did too. So we had double sinks. Yep. We filled one up with soap and water, fill the other one with clean water, make sure you get everything dirty, and then you use the, the rinser sink to put them away. Yep. So it's so funny. I think part of that might be the conservationist Iowa, but it was probably money related because it definitely was for us. It was just like the way you did it because we, we didn't have a dishwasher and they just had kids. So you you have kids do it. Kids dishwashing probably overall waste many more tens of gallons, I think, than Yes. Up. So, okay. So ba- back to our solution-based. Um, <laughs> don't have your kids do your dishes. <laughs> Energy efficient dishwashers. Um, Nina, what what are a couple of your thoughts on things that you do that you could do better or ideas that you have for other people that you do now that they could do better as well? So what I'm definitely working on, I wish I could show the audience my closets. I was a very bad person or whatever you want to call it. But the whole fast fashion, I, I'm guilty of that for a long time. And so I'm just looking at my closets. I have what I would call an asinine amount of clothes. Like it's goddamn ridiculous. Um, so there's my curse word. It's it's actually now, you know, now that I'm kind of looking at things from more of an environmental standpoint, um, it's bad. So I'm really working on, I'm never going to be a Marie Kondo. I'm too ADD for it, but I'm going to like way cut down on all the excess. I used to excess wigs, excess weaves, excess hair, shoes, gowns that I bought for events that maybe I would attend someday. So just this need to have more and I don't need it. It's not necessary. So I'm working on that. That's awesome, Nina. So what did you do with the old clothes that you had? Did you give them to Goodwill or? Right now I'm I'm giving them to um, my brother and his um, partner so that they can sell them because I still feel, and then I'm going to take all the stuff that isn't sellable and I'm going to go ahead and donate that because uh, that way there's, because I found out like Goodwill, for example, will still take um, clothes that are not usable anymore and they can still, um, what do you call it, recycle that or they can still use rags and stuff like that. So I want to make sure that they're not going to the landfill until they're absolutely out of all usefulness. That's great. I just threw away six trash bags, of, not threw away, I gave it to Goodwill, six trash bags full of clothes. You don't need a well, lot I'm- of clothes. And you just, is since I've been collecting clothes or whatever, I didn't throw anything away for like 18 years or something. It's a lot of clothes. And the nice thing about guys is we don't really have style. There's no such thing as fast style. So, and it comes back. So I have, I have t-shirts and pants that are corduroy that'll never go out of style that I could wear forever. And I don't need to have like seven different corduroy pants. I need like two to alternate. So I made a big, big change there. Corduroy pants. Um, well, I'm glad that you just brought this up, that you donated all this clothing, because I kind of was feeling like for a minute you were trying to become the anti-hero. Um, so you are now redeemed because you just donated a bunch of clothing. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I did. I, I, and a bunch of other stuff, too. So just uh, kind of got that. I realized that I was collecting and had a lot of things that I don't need. A lot of things I don't need. So uh, it's nice. It's actually kind of... If anybody's thinking about it, it's actually pretty liberating, I think, to take all that stuff that you th- that you think is great and then get rid of it because it it kind of frees you up in a way because there's a lot of there's just a lot of th- I think our culture kind of does that where you're like so you think you you collect it is stuff. our culture and it's a it's a it's a fear of 
loss. It's a it's a, a scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's 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 not only is it good for the environment, it's honestly sent soul cleansing. There it is. I couldn't figure out the words. Yeah, because you're not your yeah. stuff. You're, you aren't your stuff. And as some people, you can fall into a trap to think, well, I have this and this and it means something. But it, you're not that stuff. That's, a, I think, a good suggestion, Nina. Just a soul cleanse. I agree. If you go with the minimalist, so... Of course, when you're cleaning out, donate, recycle, all that good stuff. But if you go to a more minimalistic lifestyle, then naturally you should start the process of appreciating what you have more and thus, as a consequence of that, appreciate other things more in this scenario, the environment. Yeah, everybody should do it. I think we finally found a, like a really great note to end on, didn't you? <laughs> think it sounds fabulous. 